Father, what a privilege, again, to stand in this sacred desk with your sacred word and gather with your sacred people to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Thank you for the privilege that is ours. Thank you for preserving your word in our language that we have. We have it. Thank you for the freedoms we enjoy still in this country, not only to own a copy of your word, but to gather as your people to proclaim the good news of the gospel without hindrance. And we pray for the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit on the word of God today, both on the preacher and all those who will hear. May your word take root in our hearts and bear fruit in our lives. The glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Lessons for leaders and followers in transition. This is the fourth and final message in this series. If you missed any of these messages, you can listen to them on our free podcast on our UBC website. When leaders know that their time as leader is coming to an end, they tend to focus on what is important. You can look up and read the many famous last words of famous leaders. They are very telling the kind of, they tell the kind of leader that they were and the kind of mission and people that they led. Leadership transitions by nature are hard and disruptive. So good leaders try to prepare their followers well to to minimize the disruptions and ensure a smooth transition, as smooth as possible. You see, leaders in general understand that the mission of their organization is important, and it's bigger than them. Church leaders in particular know that the mission of the church is not only important, but it's critical for the salvation of the world and the glory of God. Therefore, all of us, both leaders and followers, must pay close attention to the leadership transition because, because of the all-important mission that is at stake. In the previous three messages in this series, we've been learning many, many lessons taught by leaders like the prophets Moses and Elijah, the Apostle Paul and the people that they led. We've learned that leaders are equipped, anointed, appointed, and sent by God. We learned that it is God who determines the kind of leadership assignment, the place of service, and the length of that assignment. We learned that leaders and followers are dispensable or replaceable. Nobody is indispensable or irreplaceable. We are merely tools in the hands of God to accomplish His mission, His purposes. He is the potter, we are the clay. He is the good shepherd, we are the sheep. We learn that leadership transitions provide many opportunities for both leaders and followers to grow in faith, to grow in trust, and to grow in our obedience. Transitions also provide opportunities for our archenemy, the devil, to maximize and to prolong the disruptions inherent to transitions. His goal is not merely to disrupt, but to destroy the church and its mission. Well, thanks be to God that 
That old snake has already been defeated on the cross, and he's going to hell. And in fact, turn to your neighbor and tell him, the devil is a liar. And then tell him, we ain't letting him in here, he's going to hell. Today I thought it fitting to end this series with the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, spoken as he prepared his followers for his own transition. His death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension back to glory. Let's begin in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Jesus was very keenly aware that his time with his beloved disciples was coming to an end. The devil also knew that Jesus' time was coming to an end, and he took the opportunity to exploit the ultimate leadership transition. Let's read the text. John chapter 13, 1 through 4 says this. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own, who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God, and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. We all know what Jesus did at that moment. He began to wash the disciples' feet. Now let's see what we can learn here from the Lord. Number one, he, like all the other leaders we've already learned from, Jesus knew his time was up. He knew it was time to go, and he accepted it. Number two, Jesus knew the authority he had. He knew that his authority that he had was given to him by the Father, and he used his authority wisely and humbly. Somebody said today, wow, Pastor, I'm, I'm impressed that you're letting go this power and authority that you have as pastor of this church. Well, it's not mine to hold on to anyway. All right. All right. John the Baptist said, everything I have and everything I am is made possible by God. We are simply conduits. We are not containers or owners of anything. We are to be conduits of every blessing, power, and authority that God empowers to us or entrusts to us. So Jesus knew the authority he had was given him by the Father, and he used his authority wisely and humbly, and he let go of it when it was time. Number three, Jesus loved his disciples in word and deed, and they loved him. And part of loving them well was leaving them well, as we shall see. Number four, Satan used Judas to create chaos in transition. Note to all followers of Jesus, don't be a Judas. And don't name your children Judas. Just not a good idea. Number five, verse four, Jesus humbly served his disciples to the very end. Here he was, the night before he was betrayed, he washed his disciples' feet. Jesus was and is a humble servant leader. 
And Lord knows the church could use more of those. Let's move on to verse 33 to 35 in John 13. Jesus said, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus once again revealed to his disciples the short time that he had left with them. As if to say, hey guys, listen, listen. I don't have much longer now. Here's the most important thing. Love one another. Love one another. See, love is the supreme ethic, the prime virtue of all virtue. Jesus gave this new command in one of his famous last words, love one another. You see, Jesus knows the power of love, the, the bond that love creates between two or more people. It's a bond so permanent that it can only be broken by death. True love, that is. Fake love breaks all the time for whatever reason. But the bond of true love is broken only by death. And Jesus knew that this true love is what he wanted his legacy to be, the legacy of his church. And so he commands them to love one another. Love is a decision, and it is a process that we must learn over time. In my last UBC elder meeting this past week, after Elder Doug closed our meeting in prayer, the Spirit of God moved me to ask us to join hands and to sing the doxology together. And after we sung that song, holding each other's hands, we embraced each other and whispered in each other's ears, I love you. Earlier in our meeting, some of us apologized for not loving each other better over the years. It was a very sweet and memorable, very touching time in our last elders meeting. I wish all of our elders meetings were so sweet and full of the Holy Spirit. Leaders and followers of Jesus Christ must learn to love each other. It is a divine sign to the world that there is a God in heaven and that we belong to him. Let's move on to John 14. In John 14 we find, and we must recognize, this: these five chapters, from John 13 to John 17, that's five chapters. Together they give us the account of Jesus preparing his disciples for his departure. In chapter 14, verse 1, we find these comforting words of our Lord, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me, Jesus said. Jesus knew that his departure would create troubled hearts of his close followers. When I announced my departure, some of you cried and wept in shock and disbelief. It was very touching and also understandable. The bond that develops between pastor and some members of their flock is real and it's not easily broken and it's painful. And we just have to understand that and accept that. 
But the lesson we learn from Jesus here is this one verse. This one verse reminds us that faith can calm troubled and grieving hearts. Faith can calm troubled and grieving hearts. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Which means you don't have to allow your heart to remain in a troubled or grieving state. Bring your troubled heart to God through Christ by faith, and he will see you through. He will walk with you if you walk with him by faith. Moving on now to verses 12 to 15, Jesus teaches us just how powerful our faith can be during times of transition. In John 14, 12 to 15, we read this. Again, Jesus speaking, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, you will what? Obey my command. Lesson number one from this passage is this. True faith results in wondrous works. Can you believe it? Who would have thunk it that Jesus would say, you will do greater things than I have done? Incredible. Do you realize what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that it's better for him to go because if he goes, he will send the Holy Spirit to empower us or anyone of us who believes in him. And we will do even greater works than he did. Incredible. You see, as long as Jesus was around, everybody depended upon him to do all the praying and all the teaching and all the miracles. Guys, we know how that is, right? We are notorious for this as men. If somebody else will do it, let him. If somebody else will do it, let him. That's how we are. But maybe if we can't find anybody else, then I might step up and step into the role. Jesus knew that his earthly presence in the flesh stunted the growth of his disciples. They became too dependent on him to do it all. But now that he was fixing to leave them in the flesh, he would send his Holy Spirit to indwell them and empower them for the mission. And that's why you can have a business guy like Dave Dillon connecting with a pastor to do the work of the Lord Jesus in this city. Because it's not, God is no respecter of persons. He can use and will use anybody, even an old business guy and an old pastor. It's interesting, Dave is from an island nation starting with J. I'm from an island nation starting with J. Can you guess? I'm from Jamaica, you all know that. He's from Japan. His parents were missionaries. He was born and raised there in Japan. And, uh, and so we got that going for us, Dave. And the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so, this business of transitions, Jesus completely understands how disruptive and difficult and how hearts can be troubled and grieved. But he says, 
my Holy Spirit will indwell you and empower you to do even greater things than he did. Amazing. All we have to do is understand the power of the faith that we have. And even our faith we receive from the Lord. True faith results in wondrous works. Secondly, true faith also results in an extraordinary prayer that moves the hand of God. Do you see that in the next in the text, verse 13 and 14? Finally, true love results in faithful obedience to God's will. You see that in verse 15. Once again, Jesus appeals to the supreme ethic of love. Faith and love are the fuel for ministry. Faith and love, the fuel for ministry. The faith that comes from God. The love that comes from God. And as we live by faith and walk in love, it is the fuel for every ministry. I can't tell you how many times, uh, as Dave and I have traveled around the country literally in this last two years, telling our story and what God, the burden that God has put in our heart, these grown men cry, thinking about, because the love of God is stirring our hearts to do this thing. It's hard work, it's challenging work, it's difficult work, but we have no doubt that God has called us for such a time as this to do this work together. And, and we're doing it by faith, empowered by the love of God that has stirred and bound our hearts together. And so Jesus is here appealing to this supreme ethic of love and faith, which are the fuel of the ministry. Jesus said, if you really love me, then you will obey my commands. What commands of Christ are you not obeying? Have you taken an inventory lately? Christ is serious about us obeying his commands. Our love for Christ is only as great as our obedience to his commands. And so... How is your love life with Christ today? Moving on quickly, we have much, much more ground to cover. In verses 16 to 18, Jesus reminded his disciples that he's not leaving them as orphans, but he, he will send his Holy Spirit of truth to counsel and to comfort and to teach us. The reason many of us are not doing the great works that Jesus did it may be because we are still looking for Jesus, maybe even in our pastor in an unhealthy way. Instead, we ought to be looking to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can get on mission and obey his commands and do his will. Every member of every church ought to be engaged and involved in the ministry, the mission, in some way, shape, or fashion. God has not called us to sit on the premises and simply claim the promises. He's called us to go and to be his hands and feet in the mission field. We ought to be looking to the Holy Spirit to be comforted and to be counseled and to be taught. So let me encourage you if you're having a hard time processing this transition. Look to the Holy Spirit, ask him to be your counselor and your comforter and your teacher and do it with your Bible open. He will use the word of God to counsel and to comfort and to teach you. Then do it in private, but also do it publicly in your growth groups. The Spirit of God will use people, God's people, to help each of you through the times of transition. Now let's move on to chapter 15. 
In John 15 and 7, we read this. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Can you tell that Jesus knows how disruptive leadership transitions can be? Five times in five verses, he repeated the word, remain. In other words, despite the fact that I'm leaving you physically, Jesus says, I'll be with you spiritually. And I know that you will be tempted to bail on the church or bail on the mission when I leave you, but please hear me. Jesus says, remain. Remain in me. Let my words remain in you. Remain in my love. Remain in my love. Remain in my love. Remain in my love. If we remain in Christ, then he will see it. He will see to it that we bear much fruit. We obey Christ's commands, then we prove that we remain in his love. And what's the goal here? You notice the goal? Joy. Our joy. Complete, unadulterated joy. To know Christ is to love him. To love him is to obey him. And to obey him is to serve him. And to serve him. To serve him is to love and serve our neighbor. Even the least of these. Even the guys who are pulling triggers and ducking bullets. And the world has given up on them, and they have given up on themselves and the world, and they think life is hopeless. No. Not if Jesus is alive. You know what some people think about the ministry to the gang that we have? They think it's a hug-a-thug ministry. And they don't like it because they don't they don't think thugs deserve to be hugged. But that's the world. That's not Jesus. So everybody deserves to be loved. To serve him is to love and serve your neighbor. The rich, poor, middle class, red, yellow, black, and white, gay or straight or whatever. The believer and the unbeliever. Love is a supreme ethic, and the world will know that there is a God when the church begins to love each other supremely, and that love then spills out on the street. And people are looking like, you heard what the alderman said, he's been to many churches, but when he looks at this church and sees your lovely faces, red, yellow, black, and white, rich, poor, middle class, it's like, this is the real deal. Maybe something, maybe something real is happening here. Because this is a little slice of heaven, I think. And oh, by the way, did I leave out Republican and Democrat? We're all in here. You don't have to raise your hand. I want everybody getting shot, okay? But when you have the love of Christ, you can love anybody and everybody. So, 
The happiest people, the ones that are filled with most joy, are the most generous people. Did you know that? If you're here, if you're here today and you lack joy, you're just not a very happy person. You want to be happy, you're just not. You know that? What you ought to do? Follow Christ's instructions here in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, 7 to 11. Begin to walk in obedience to Christ's command. You can't know his command if you're not in the Word. I see Brother Ken Oliver, who's here today. He's the president of the Chicago Bible Society. He's one of the founders of this church, one of the founding members of this church. Right, Ken? Bless you for being here today. I think if you look at that, that praying image document over here by the nursery door, and back in the sanctuary, Ken's signature might be on it, right next to Sister Minion. Uh, it's founding members of this church some 40 years ago. He doesn't look that old, but 40 years ago, I'm founding members of this church. President of the Chicago Bible Society, he understands what we're talking about, how the Word of God has to inform us and shape our ministry and, and fuel our ministry to do what we do. So, if you lack joy, you're going to find it as you spend time in God's Word and then seeking to obey God's Word in service to others. Giving of your time, talent, and treasure. Read the Word every day. Ask the Holy Spirit of God to help you keep His commands. And then ask the Spirit of God to help you give yourself away your time, your talent, and your treasure. You see, the world has it backwards. The world teaches us to hoard our time, talents, and treasures for ourselves. And the more we have, the happier we should be, so the world says. Jesus says, no. It's the more you give, the happier that you're going to be. And God wants us to be completely filled with joy. Don't settle for being unhappy or joyless. Start giving more of your time, talent, and treasure away, and you'll find the joy of the Lord filling your heart. Joy awaits you on the other side of your giving as you become not a container, but a conduit of God's blessings. All right, let's hurry on to chapter 16. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray, Jesus says. Chapter 16, verse 1. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. Talking about persecution in the church. Still exists today in many countries of the world. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you, but now that I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I have told you these things. Here's the purpose, the reason he told us. So that in me you may have peace. Talking about love and joy, not comes peace. In this world you will have what? Trouble. But take heart, I have what? Overcome the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah is right. That's a good place for a hallelujah. Some of you missed it. Pay attention next time. Every good leader warns his followers of the dangers that lurk to exploit the times of transition. But once again, Jesus warned his disciples of 
persecution that will come because they will stand up and speak up for righteousness. But he also comforted them with the knowledge of his power and his peace that overcomes the world. No matter what the trial, no matter what the test that will come to UBC in the days ahead, know this, Christ sits on the throne high above the heavens, but he looks low. He looks down below on earth and he sees us and he will care for us and he will see us through and he will help us overcome. No matter what the challenge, no matter what the difficulty, and we've been through a lot together these last 14 years. But every trial, every test that has come, Christ has been with us and helped us overcome. He is still large and in charge, and he will build his church, and not even the powers of hell can destroy it. Finally, we conclude with John 17. After Jesus told his disciples about his leaving, and then he taught them how to live after he left them, now here he prayed over them for power and protection to accomplish the mission. Look at it, John 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Every good leader warns his followers of the dangers that lurk and exploit time of transition. But now Jesus prays over his followers. He says, I brought you glory on earth, speaking to God the Father. I brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you, have given, who you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I, have, for I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I love that. This is also my prayer for UBC. This John 17 passage. Some of you have come to know Christ through our ministry in the last 14 years. Praise the Lord. But in the last 14 years, I have baptized many of you and have welcomed you into the church membership right here at UBC. I've had the privilege to tie the knot for some of you who fell in love, and you said, I do, right here at this altar. By God's grace, I've done my best to preach and model the whole counsel of God to you, including the hard truths of Scripture. Try not to hold back any punches. And some of you said, ouch, and some said, amen. But this also needs to be said, please forgive me for the ways that I have failed you or hurt you, for the times that I did not represent Christ well to you. Jesus continued his prayer in verse 9. He says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who of you, those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they, they're still in the world, and I'm coming to you. 
Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, and I kept them safe. By that name that you gave me, none has been lost except the one doomed for destruction. All right. Judas. Right. Why you don't want to be Judas? Don't name your children Judas. That one was doomed for destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy. There it is again. If you ever doubted that Christ wants you to be filled with joy, doubt no longer. This is the third time in the third passage where Christ's goal for us is to be filled with joy. To be filled with his love, to be filled with his peace, to be filled with his word. He says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world anymore than I am of the world. And my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. 14 years ago, God gave us to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. That will never change. He also gave us to each other as friends and co-workers to spread the glorious gospel of Christ. That won't change either. Fourteen years ago, God also gave us to each other as pastor and people, shepherd and flock, leader and followers. The time has come for that relationship to end. But it ends with the certain knowledge pointed out by Christ. Guess what? We both belong to him. We belong to him. And we're going to spend eternity together. Though we may be separated by time and space for such a time as this. But he will continue to lead and to guide us. He will continue to protect us and provide for us. For he is the good shepherd. He is the great divine shepherd. And he does all things well without regret or repentance. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. So let us trust and obey him until he returns and takes us on up to glory. I can't wait for that day, but until then, we're going to do what God has called us to do. Friends, brothers and sisters, I love you. You haven't heard me say it in a while. Just know this. I love you. And my wife and I, my kids, we love you. I love you. And let there be no mistake. We're not leaving here because somebody offended us or because there's some scandal or we haven't messed with anybody's kids, we haven't messed with anybody's money, I haven't messed with anybody's wife. And I mean we, we some of us laugh, but this is serious stuff. And we know that this is this is not this is there's a lot of that going on in many churches. But that is not, none of that is why we are leaving this pulpit. We're moving on for the purpose that God has called us, a new assignment. And we have a clear conscience about what's going on and where we're going and why we're going and all that. But, but let no one be in any 
illusion that there's any scandal or any wrongdoing or any mismanagement of funds or anything like that. God has been gracious and, and faithful to us. And I thank God every single day. There will be no newspaper articles that you'll hear after today about what I did or didn't do in the last 14 years here at Upper Mountain Church. And that is a credit. That is a credit to our gracious God and Savior Jesus. God is a good shepherd. He's the great divine shepherd, and he does all things well without regret. He loves us. He loves every one of you. And he, by the way, he wants to forgive you and to cleanse you from your sin and shame. If there's anybody here who's not yet come to faith in Christ, and you are sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you lack faith, you lack understanding, today might be your day. Where you can call on the name of Jesus and be saved right here, right now. He wants to fill your heart with joy. Complete, unadulterated joy. The question is, will you let him? Let's stand as we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This is God's time of invitation. Every head bowed, every eye closed. What is God saying to you today? Where are you in your walk of faith? In your journey of trying to understand this thing called church, this thing called God, this thing called the gospel? I pray that today you would simply reach out by faith in your own heart and mind and say, God, if you're there, if you're real, show yourself to me today. Help me to understand. Help me to see you in fresh, new, and living ways. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Renew my faith. Renew my hope. Trust in you. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, and today is your day to do that. Maybe you've walked away from Christ and today is your day to make a U-turn. Unlike many intersections in Chicago, U-turns are permitted here. You can make a U-turn and come back to the God who loves you, who created you, who wants you to be His child. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you. By faith, you can reach out today and say, Lord, forgive me. I believe you. Help me in my unbelief. And you will save me. Father, thank you so much for this blessed church. This church that has taught me so much, has loved me and my family so well, has shown the world what it means to be a real church with a real God for the real world. I've taken the gospel here and around the world. Thank you for this church, these people, this building called the Uptown Baptist Church. We pray your blessings over them, over us. 
you continue to do your will. We pray for the pastoral search team and that you give them wisdom as they sift through all the applicants that have already submitted applications, resumes. We pray that you give them wisdom. Help them to hear from your Holy Spirit. This is the way to walk in. Help them to hear from your Spirit. This is the one. Call him. Have your will and way. Thank you for the privilege, of oh God, to have served here. He's working plus here. Thank you that we belong to you. We continue to serve you by your grace. Walk in your love and your truth. In your power and your peace. And we are filled with your